0: You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. It is good to be here this morning, it really is. And uh, last week, well two weeks ago I mentioned it and then last week I, I taught a little bit actually about what was going on in the world. Um, Some of this uh, news that we've been hearing about COVID-19, the coronavirus. And so this morning, I am going to take just a couple more minutes of our time together to talk about this um, because it's important. Uh, And as I've been going throughout my week, uh, one of my least favorite things in the whole world, other than talking on the telephone, is having to talk to people through the internet and through videos. Uh, These two things are my least favorite in the whole world, okay? Um, And yet, I've been having to do that a lot this week um, to make certain plans for uh, people in our missions organization, uh, people within Acts 29, the church planting uh, network that we're a part of, and uh, we've been sharing ideas and coming up with new ideas to help one another. And so, um, as I've been doing that, I've heard some really good things But then I've also heard some really bad things. Maybe some things that could uh, lead us away from truth. And some things that could lead us away from our focus being on Christ. And also lead us away from some of the hard truths that we're having to face as a world right now. And so this morning I want to talk for just a couple of minutes. And I have a bunch of slides up here. You're not going to be able to read everything that's on them. That's totally fine. Uh, But I want to talk about this virus, and I want to talk about the mercy of God this morning. Um, So, the world is freaking out right now. The world is going mad. And that that is verifiably true. If you've spent any time on WhatsApp, on Facebook, on the internet at large, you've seen it. And so this morning, I do not want to be one of those people that is one... Freaking out, and I don't want to be one of those people that is causing you to have great concern. Um, what I want for you and what I desire for everyone in our church throughout the season is to have the right amount of concern and so yeah, you can't really see what's up here, um, but up here, I have a list of plagues, things that have rolled down through history, um, one of them, the first one that's that's mentioned. In the year 165, killing 5 million people. The second one, the Plague of Justinian, which hurried on the collapse of the Roman Empire, uh, killing 30 to 50 million people. And we could go on and on. Um, In the 1300s, we had the Black Plague, the Bubonic Plague, Black Death, which led to the death of 200 million people throughout the world. These are crazy big numbers. These are crazy big numbers. Even in modern history, we have had somewhat large plagues and outbreaks of things. And you can just barely see it. Um, You know, my kids know how to use this thing. Let me see. Oh, yeah. You can just barely see it. Here we are right here at this coronavirus. And we're looking at um, right around... 8,000 deaths, a little bit more than that now throughout the world. And now I show you all those, not to bore you with details or to simply give you a history lesson, but I've been hearing a lot lately about the mercy of God. And I've been in a lot of meetings where, and it's a good prayer that we would pray that this would end. We We should pray, we should desire that this would end and end quickly what we're faced with. And yet, I've heard a lot of prayers that go something like this, God, we know that You're going to bring a stop to this tomorrow. And church, that's probably not the case. Not that God does not have the authority and the power to bring it to a stop. But if you look down through this list and that plague in the 500s, Christians were the ones that were sacrificing their lives for the life of their neighbors to help care for them as they died. And the church did the same throughout the bubonic plague in the 1300s. And then as it popped up time and time again in the 1400s and 1500s. So is this going to be removed from us? No, probably not. Is it still a good thing to pray? Yes, I think that it is. I want to read for us real quick from Ephesians chapter 4, which talks about the mercy of God. Or chapter 2, verse 4, rather. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. But God, which is a great way to start a sentence. Because we can talk about all the things that we're seeing in the world All the struggle and danger that we are faced with on a normal day, let alone in the days to come. And we can always end that thought with, but God. But God being rich in mercy, because of great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, even when we were dead, what did He do? Made us alive Together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages. We might, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace. And kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is, not a, this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. And not a result of works. So that no one can boast. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand. That we should walk in them. I'm just going to throw up a couple more pictures up here. Um, Maybe you follow this online. Maybe this is all new information to you. But if you were to go online, there's two or three live things that show you how many people around the world are reported being sick at this very time. This is stressful information. But it also does not mean that you shouldn't make yourself look at it sometimes. Um, We're going to talk about sickness and death here in just a little bit. But this is the world. Around the world, 4% of the people that have contracted COVID-19 are dying from it. Um, So around the world this morning, these are just this morning statistics that I pulled offline. um, You're looking at 13,000 deaths around the world, which on a planet of 7 billion doesn't seem like very much. And yet, for us who understand that we are made in God's image, we have to understand that those are 13,000 image bearers. And right now, there are 300 and... I've got to do my numbers. 307,000. Am I doing that right? 725, thanks. I need an accountant. Can I get a witness? Um, <laughs> and, and each one of those people is an image bearer. Some of which have heard the good news about Jesus, and some of which still need to hear that good news. Um, This is us this morning. And now, I don't want to be a fear mongerer, okay? Um, But these numbers, too, are probably not 100% accurate. Uh, My brother I told you about last week, he was very sick. He got into the doctor. Um, He did not have coronavirus. He did have a severe case of Pneumonia. And because of that, his immune system is now weakened. And it's actually quite dangerous for my brother to be out and about. Because he would be a prime candidate for someone that would need extreme medical care. Or extended medical care during this time. And so here in South Africa, with 204 cases and two people that have gone home, not to be with the Lord, gone to their actual homes, um, that are feeling better now. And yet, there is the possibility that, much like other places in the world, no matter how much we try to contain this, it is going to spread. And yet, we can thank God that the government right now is doing its best to try to slow down the pace of this thing. Um, let me just make sure I'm getting my numbers right here. Uh, this is the United States right now, and I just put that up there because... Um, it's hitting close to home for me as well. Uh, we're, there are two twenty six thousand cases, but even where my brother was at in New York, they've actually stopped testing people because they can't keep up with the tests. And they already don't have enough beds in hospitals to deal with the people who are sick now. And so I say that, again, not to put fear in your hearts, But I want you to be placing your hopes and your aspirations and your comfort in the right place. If your comfort is in the fact that we can slow this down and that I'm never going to be touched by it, that's probably a wrong way of thinking. If your hope is in Christ and you understand that even if you aren't one of the 70% that are going to get sick from this, Someone you know is, and it's going to touch someone in your life. So just to give you an idea, um, last Friday, the United States was at 18,000. Sorry, not last Friday, this past Friday, (laughs) two days ago. And this morning, they're at 26,000. So the virus spreads very quickly, spreads very quickly. Um we talked about this last week and I sent out a video about it, but all of that to get to our first big point of today, and that is where we are at as a church this morning. I'm gonna keep using my fancy clicker here because I've never done this before. Um We I sent out a message this week that we're at this level two gathering, that we should gather and you should know that you do it at your own risk. Um We do it with respect of each other's personal space. We do it with um, respect to the space that we're in. Next week, um, I can't say what gathering is going to look like. Uh, If you look at the numbers throughout the world, my first guess would be that we would not be gathering next week. Um, But I can't say that for sure. If possible, um, I think it could be good to maybe meet just a little bit earlier in the morning and meet outside. And I'm sorry, I'm just... I'm too weak to be preaching out in the heat. Um, but to continually have a time where we can come together, even in small groups, to, to encourage one another and pray for one another. Um, so that's where we're at as a church right now. And again, I don't put those numbers up in front of you to cause uh, undue fear. Uh, but I do put those numbers in front of you to uh, encourage you to use caution and wisdom. Um, Globally, that that death rate is at around 4% this morning. Um, But if we were to look at Italy this morning, they're looking at more like a 10% death rate for those people that get the virus. Um, That's a very large number of the Italian population. I've been following an Italian church planter um, through a podcast that he's been kind of recounting everything. And um, it's a very, very serious thing where they're at. Not only are there no longer any beds, but the medical staff are basically all infected and are having to work through that. And um, it's a very serious situation. And for us here in South Africa, that in some places we have good health care, we have to understand that our health care is going to be very strained here. And because of that, there might not always be health care available. And so we are going to be faced with, um, we can pray, low numbers. But we must also face the fact that this isn't just something that we're going to have to live with over the next year. That this is something that a lot of people are going to be dying with over the next year. And so, again, I don't say that to put fear in your heart. I say that to give you a proper amount of respect for what's going on around you and a knowledge about what's going on around you. As a church body, um, we've already received some requests. (laughs) Sorry, kids. We've already received some requests about ways that we can be helping our, our neighbors within this church body. And when possible, I'm going to be uh, sending out messages. Uh, there, there is talk. I don't know if it's true talk. But there's talk this week of severely limiting what shops are going to be open and uh, having certain hours of the day that those shops are going to be open. If that is the case, food, food sources are still fine here in South Africa from everything that news and the government are saying. And yet it could be longer queues and it could be longer wait times for those things. And so um, we need to use a lot of discernment and wisdom as far as how we can help our brothers and sisters in Christ, whether that looks like um, not just a food parcel. Uh, I'll give you an example. I've been hearing lots of stories from different places in the world where grocery stores and shops are having to tighten up a little bit And for people like our family that have five kids and go in to buy three days' worth of groceries, um, there's threats of violence against people because they think the people are hoarding instead of just getting what they need. Um, So these are all big concerns, okay? Things that we need to be guarding one another against and watching out for one another with. So if you have ideas about ways that we can help one another, um, you can send a personal message to Tara or I. Um, If you have specific needs, please send a personal message to Tara or I. I thank those people that have already done that. And this week we're going to try to do our best effort at meeting those needs. Really try to dive deep into thought about this thing. Um, Don't let it weigh you down too much. Been weighing me down this week, but what that thought about it is going to do, um, God, the Holy Spirit will bring to your mind ways, new ways that you can be praying for one another, that you can be encouraging one another. Think not only of yourselves right now too, but think about the person that sits next to you typically, in church on a Sunday, and that person that lives next to you too, who that you can be a bright gospel light to. During this time, from there this morning, I have two questions for you. In light of everything that I've just said, what do we do now? Is the first question. What do we do now? Well, after ten weeks of looking at all the ways that we fall short of God's will for us in the Ten Commandments, we are now also caught up in a waiting game full of questions about an invisible, an invisible enemy that's coming to make us sick and to hurt loved ones. So what do we do now? You could say, wait, I thought that I came to church to get hope. To make sure that I had joy, 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 joy down in my heart. To get a pick-me-up that I needed to bear with unbearable circumstances this week. To be blessed and to reach a higher kind of life. But now you tell me that I or someone I love could die? Over the last ten weeks, you told me that I deserve to die for the breaking of God's commandments. Are you trying to tell me that there's no way out of this thing? That we've got to go through it? What kind of message of hope is that? But this is where we find ourselves. Always looking back at ourselves and looking around ourselves and the resources that we have in the here and the now. The things that we think that we possess. We're always looking to ourselves and thinking, I've done this before. I, I can do it again. God, just give me a window to jump through and I'll do it. I'll get out of this thing. But if that is where our hope and our comfort, our confidence is at, Christian, that is not a good place to find ourselves. There's been this uh, meme going around on the internet this week, this song, a John Lennon song, which I hate, um, (laughs) about imagine, imagine a world where things are good, where there's no death, no war. Things are at peace. In the midst of everything that the world is facing on a regular basis, let alone this, that is a slap in the face of 305,000 people that are sick right now. Look, we all know that death comes for us all. Philosophers, authors, artists have all described it in different ways. Blaise Pascal, a philosopher, described it as though you're you're waiting in the queue to go in front of the fire the fr- the firing squad to get to be killed. And you're watching everyone ahead of you die. And you're left with the question, what am I supposed to do with the time that I have now? One author, Neville Shute, in a book called On the Beach, talked about uh, this atomic, uh, atomic war that had taken place and how Australia, an island nation, continent being on its own was fine until the news that they received that the cloud of pollution from the atomic fallout was finally going to reach them. And I forget the time, but they all had a month to live. And everyone's true nature came out then. People found out what they were really made of. Or in our situation, generally not knowing what is going to happen next or who in our lives will be affected or injured or face death. Growing up, um, honestly, it was really boring back then, uh, but my my family is a little bit strange. And funerals were like a hobby in my family. Uh, anytime someone in our small town died, we were at the funeral home. Anytime someone died, we were going through the line of family, shaking hands, giving hugs. My parents would stand me in front of the box. They would let me step up on the little step that was there for kids to look at the body. We'd look at the body, and then we'd leave. We'd say some things to family on the way out, and. Um, I never would have thought about the ways that this was actually a blessing that my parents had given to me. Not only did I get to know a lot of people, but I also got to see a lot of people who had died. Maybe for some of you, you've seen far more than me, and I'm not trying to make this into a competition. um, But also through the grade, grade four through grade seven I had 11 uh, close family members, not in my direct family, but uh, family members die, mostly due to cancer. And I remember in those three years going to funeral after funeral after funeral, seeing 11 funerals and 11 lifeless bodies that I was encouraged to walk past and then linger upon and give my mind the opportunity to understand that this person was gone and this would be the last time that I would see their face on this earth. And I remember the feeling of walking. Um, I remember also when I think I was grade 5 when my grandmother was dying and each and every night we were at their house uh, and she decided to to suffer at home through cancer. And each and every night we were at her house, and each and every night we sat there. She was mostly asleep. There were seasons where she was up and causing everyone trouble. Um, but just waiting for her to die. We would wait there from 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. and wait for her to die. And if she didn't die that night, then we would go home and we'd come back the next night. And I remember finally, we were out somewhere and um, we got the call that she had died. And I remember that feeling of walking into the room where there had been this like heaviness of life. And then all of a sudden, you could clearly tell that that life had left the room. I remember what my grandma's garden looked like that day and walking out into it. Um, when the ambulance came to gather her. And I think about this often actually because my kids, uh, death in our culture today, at least in Western culture in particular, is foreign. In fact, it seems like people live forever, they just keep on kicking. And we thank God for that. It's truly a, a blessing. And a miracle of the many vocations that God has given people to help people through life and health and, and, and ease them into death. Or Derek, I, I think about your parents and um, they just seem to keep, <laughs> they just keep chugging along. So maybe for some of us, death is remote. And it is distant. It is somewhere separated from us where for since the beginning of history, people died at home. That's just what you did. And now, death has moved out of the home. It's moved out of our sight. And yet, Scripture, God Himself would encourage us not to remove death from our sight. Instead, He would encourage us to constantly understand that death is normal. And in many ways, Jesus encouraged us towards death. Did He not? We read about this in Mark's Gospel, but in Luke chapter 9, we read this, and He said to everyone standing in front of Him, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. I remember going to this really big conference once with my father, and the whole thing was pretty boring, to be honest with you. And then out of nowhere, you heard this guy just huffing and puffing, and you can tell he's getting a workout over this gigantic sound system in this huge uh, uh, stadium. And next thing you know, you see a guy carrying... in essence, a telephone pole on his shoulder. And he's lifting it, and he's carrying it to the front of the room. And then he goes and gets another shorter telephone pole. And he carries that to the front of the room. And he gets out an axe, and he starts making some divots in the wood. He gets out a nail, and he hammers the nail into the wood. He gets out some rope and secures it like this. And then He picks that telephone pole back up. And all He says is, take up your cross daily and follow Me. I could stand here and look strong, but the reality is, if I did this every day, it would kill Me. And that's exactly what Jesus is encouraging us towards. He's encouraging us to die to ourselves. As Paul tells us, to live is Christ for him. Or as Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, I die daily. This morning, there's another question that we need to ask ourselves. and We talked about it last week, and multiple times, and this week I sent out a message with it. But what is your only comfort in life and in death? And now before I go any further, I know this is heavy, okay? I understand that this is serious. And I understand that we are nowhere near this point right now. I do understand that. And yet, I wanted to talk about this this morning before we jumped into our next book of the Bible, because we do not know what tomorrow brings. And we don't know what this week brings. And we don't know whether this will be the last time that we're meeting together as a church body for a while. So I wanted us to be reminded of the hope that we have in Christ. Oftentimes, we pray together this text from Matthew and from Luke, the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be Your name. Your kingdom come. And then probably the most frightening words in these verses and in this prayer, Your will be done. So often we attach the Your will be done to Your kingdom come. And that means we're working to build the kingdom in the here and now. When in reality what this means is God, make us at peace with Your will for our lives. Your will is already being done in heaven. And one day, when heaven and earth become one and all things are new, made new, there too your will will be done. Help us to understand your will in the here and now. And to be at peace with it. Or as we said this morning, what is something that we confess together? The resurrection of the body and the life Everlasting. It's in these things that we repeat almost each and every week or every other week. That we not only rediscover what it is that we're supposed to be focused on. It's not only where we rediscover what our focus should be. And and what we're, what we actually believe and what we should be looking forward to. But it's also truth that has been passed down to us that every other Christian throughout human history has had to face. And they've passed these words down to us so that we too could take comfort in what Scripture has to tell us and what God has to tell us about His great mercy through Jesus Christ, His Son. I'm going to be jumping around a lot through texts right now. But I wanted to read something from an author on this passage in the Apostles' Creed first as well. He says this, and I might have to do some translation as we go along. But what of life, after, but what of life everlasting? The Creed's old-fashioned way of speaking about eternal life? Having affirmed that we will one day share Christ's resurrection, the creed now hints at what form our existence will take. The idea of eternal life might seem to you like something that just goes on and on forever, day after day, and it might sound terribly boring. In fact, it probably does if you think that eternal life is just an infinite expression of, Of our daily lives in the here and now. But that isn't what is meant. In the Greek language in which the New Testament is written. There are two words for life. One that is our biological life. Our bodies standing here right now. And the other is a fullness of life. And it is that fullness of life. That Christ comes to give life abundantly. That Jesus talks about. And John 10.10, 10, which not even death can destroy. We are not being offered an endless extension of our biological existence, but rather a transformation of that existence. Eternal doesn't mean throughout all of time. It means outside of time. Eternal life means life with God Outside of what we currently understand as time and space. In Romans chapter 8, we read this So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That's this beautiful language there. That's that adoption language that we're often running upon in the epistles. It's not saying that we're little gods as some would teach. What this is saying is you are as much a son to the Father as Jesus is. Paul here is calling us to faithfulness in a time of fear. He continues on, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for, as, for adoptions as, adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes in what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Right? Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, To be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Christian, He also glorified. That's in the past tense. That happened in the past to God. The fact that you are safe and secure forever with God is not just something in the future. That's something in the here and in the now. What that means for you and for I is not only that we can take risk, that is true. It also means for us in the here and now that we can face death and we can do it with hope. No longer slaves to fear, but sons and daughters adopted by a good father who gives us life. So, what is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own Christ, by His Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for Him. In the world this week, I've heard many crazy things and maybe you've heard them too. That this is purely a white man's disease. Only white people can get it and it's because God and the ancestors are cursing the Europeans. I was on the phone with a church planter in Soweto this week, um, to which he said that is the only thing he hears. That there were churches of 500, 100, 200, 50 and down, all meeting, full bore this weekend. Because they knew that this was something that could not touch them. I've heard others say that if we simply go to church, God will look favorably upon us and keep us safe. Christian, you going to church does not keep you safe. It might be the place where you find the Word of God and salvation, but it does not keep you safe. I've seen many other things this week that are at least in our situation, kind of hair-raising. They cause me great concern for our country. They cause me great concern for my neighbors. And they cause me great concern for you. And so I've been diligently praying this week for you. I'm going to keep praying for you. I want to throw a couple more verses at you related to what we've been reading because... We have to remember that in all of these false answers that are out there, that if I just stay far enough away, nothing will happen to me. Or if I stay close enough to the church, nothing will happen to me. Or if I separate myself from certain types of people, nothing will happen to me. These are false answers. If I simply imagine a world where things are good, then all will be well. These are false answers to this question. And we have one answer. And yes, it's the Sunday school answer. Jesus. We read in Hebrews chapter 2, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who, fear, who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Everyone in our world, whether they know it or not, whether they've seen a million deaths in their life, whether they are walking around acting like they are too good to think about it, they are a slave to fear and to death without Christ. But we who have been adopted, and those that still need to hear the good news about Jesus, who will be adopted, that will share in His flesh and His blood, Like, unfortunately, we do not get to uh, share in together this morning in a picture sense. For all of us, we are family. We've been brought into a family with a good Father who cares for us and who has given us hope. Or in 1 John, see the kind of love that our Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Going back to that Hebrews passage too, I just have to mention it and what we read in in Orthodox Catechism here, that line that I just read is, is something beautiful that we've been freed from the tyranny of the devil. Christian, there are weeks and months coming to us where your faith is going to be pushed and pulled and tugged on. Know that you can cry out to God and you can say, I believe. Help my unbelief, but also know that your enemy, Satan, you've been freed from him. And that is not a voice that you have to listen to. Instead, you cry out to God and you listen to what he says to you through his word, that you have been adopted, that you now share in his flesh and blood. Do you not think that he would care for his flesh and blood? In John 6, we read this. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose none of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him on the last day. And John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. We already read Romans 8. You may know from Romans 8 that all things work together for the good of those that love him, but there in the catechism question, the answer we're reading, it says, all things work together for my salvation. Um, That's just a of really solid interpretation of that verse. Especially during a time like this. Because if we look around us and we say, all things work together for my good, and I have a family of seven that's sick, it doesn't seem good. But it does all work to my salvation. Which is good. That is God's definition of what good is. Lastly, I just want to read one more thing for us. And I'm reading so many passages of Scripture this morning too because I want you to go home this week and whether you're stuck at home without work or you're stuck at work without work, (laughs) whatever the case may be, have something to read. Pull up your phone. Be reminded of these texts of God's Word that should be a comfort to you. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, although it's all good. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. Which is beautiful. Remember, you've heard it, you've received it. You weren't just saved once, you're always being saved by it. and in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at one time, Most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, Paul. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them though it was not I, but the grace of God that is that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach. And so you believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed, as raised from the dead, how can some say that you have no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God. He's saying, look, if I'm wrong about this, then I'm lying about God. Because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And then those that have fallen asleep, all of those that have given us these good words that we've read up on the screen this morning, that have died. And Paul, throughout Corinthians, uses this phrase, fallen asleep. I think he uses it in Thessalonians 2. He does this for a reason. Because he wants people to understand, yes, we're talking about death here. They died. But they're not really dead. Why? Because while you were still living, Christ died for you. He put you to death and He raised you back to life already. It's happened already and for all of time. He says, You're simply, they've simply gone asleep. But if even those that have gone asleep, if it's not true, then they've perished. They're gone. Everyone that passed these words down to you, they're gone if what we're preaching is not true. If in Christ, we have hope in this life only we are of most people we are of all people most to be pitied but in fact Christ has been raised from the dead and we hear this repeated again as from, from Romans the first fruits that is the first one to be re- to raise to be raised from the dead eternally the first fruits Of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die. So in Christ shall all be made alive. Christian that's you. And that's me. We fear. We have no fear of death because we know that we've already been put to death and that we have been raised up in Christ. And His Holy Spirit in us is a promise, as Paul says, a promise, a guarantee, a seal of the fact that He too will raise us from the dead. It also means, as I said before, that we can move bravely into the coming months Knowing that no matter what awaits us, awaits our loved ones, awaits our neighbors, we have hope to give. Whereas those that hope simply in this life, this is a time where they will be lost. And God has given you a calling. He has given you a vocation as neighbor during this time. to Share that good news with them. So we have one answer. His name is Jesus. He is our only comfort in life and in death. And what do we do now? We turn to Him. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, as I do that, I'm going to ask our musicians to come back up. They're going to lead us through one more song this morning. Father God, You are almighty, and You are all-powerful, and You are in charge. We know this, and we know too that You have brought us into safety this new day. God, I ask for each of us here today, and those that are stuck at home today, that You would preserve us with Your mighty power. God, during this time, preserve us too so that we might not fall into sin and in doing so be overcome by Satan, who you have already defeated on our behalf. Lord, instead during this time, I pray that we would be constant witnesses to your mercy and that you would direct our feet, as Paul said, so that the good works that You you laid out for us at the beginning of time, the ones that we walk past and are standing in front of us each and every day, that You would call us to faithfulness and to, and to fulfilling a purpose in that and during this time. God, I pray for those that are at work in our hospitals and our clinics and our doctor's offices, I pray for the medics driving the ambulances and uh, the buses around. God, I pray that over these coming months that You will give them endurance and strength and safety. God, I do pray that You would take this away. And yet, Lord, I also pray that You would give those that are at work in our government right now and those that are at work work in the shops that must remain open so that things can continue to function. God, I pray for those that are at work in the medical field, God, that You will give them an unnatural and God-given endurance during this time. And that when possible, we, as, as Your people, as Your children who have been brought into Your family, would always be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. And that we would be able to speak well of and clearly and confidently about our good and merciful Father who in the most merciful act towards us, bent all of creation for our salvation, placed all of His wrath upon His own Son, and has already extended to us all of His mercy. God, we pray all this through our Lord Jesus Christ, and in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.